Good morning, Kingswood. It's great to be with you all today. Um, it's my first visit to New Brunswick, and uh, where did I get to come first? But Sussex in Kingswood, so this is, it's been great. I really enjoyed the hospitality, and, and thank you all for having me with you today. So um, as, as uh, David has so um, eloquently said, I'm here to speak to you today about the issue of, of human trafficking. It's something that... Um, a path in my life, a journey that I've had to become involved in this issue that I never expected, uh, been involved now for more than 15 years. And it was totally God's hand on my life. It wasn't something that I orchestrated. It was really God just putting me in the right place at the right time. And maybe tomorrow I'll get to share with you a little bit more about that. But today, I want us just to uh, look at scripture and really look at what some of the, uh, I think what we can find in scripture about the issue of trafficking. And uh, before I go there, I just want to talk a little bit more about what we mean by human trafficking. So I imagine most everybody here has heard the term human trafficking before. Am I right? Yeah, okay. But when I started in this issue so long ago, you could say human trafficking and everybody would kind of look at you like, what's that? <laughs> they really, people really didn't know. And I know I didn't know. It was something that I was educated about uh, back in the 90s. But even the fact, though, that we, we hear the term now, I don't think it means that people really, I think the term trafficking is a little bit confusing. I think it kind of, we kind of associate trafficking with vehicular movement. <laughs> and that's not really what we're talking about here. We're really talking about an illegal commerce. So I want to make that clear. We're talking, you know, like if you talk about drugs trafficking or weapons trafficking, you're talking about an illegal commerce in something. And when we're talking about human trafficking, we're talking about the illegal commerce in human beings. So that's principally our, our topic today. And, of course, probably many of you have heard, uh, as, as the issue has um, gained, uh, you know, a lot of awareness has been gained, more and more people learning about it, uh, that it's a, this criminal enterprise exploits people in many different ways. Uh, you'll find people exploited through the commercial sex trade and things like prostitution and pornography, stripping. These are common sectors uh, that involve the commodification of sex where you find people uh, being trafficked. But there's also a considerable amount of trafficking for forced labor in a whole range of settings. Everything from sweatshops to the fishing industries as a, as a known uh, industry that's known to, to um, have a lot of trafficking victims. There are whole uh, brick building, brick kilns in India where there's known to been, have been a lot of trafficking. Cocoa plantations, uh, other agricultural settings, chicken farms. I've even read of trafficking, um, human trafficking happening in ice cream parlors. Now that one, <laughs> that was, that one really took me by surprise. Like, Ice cream parlor, really? It made me wonder if I should go to Dairy Queen anymore. Um, but thankfully, it wasn't a Dairy Queen, so everybody, you can still go to Dairy Queen. It actually happened in Germany, so just be careful when you eat your ice cream in Germany. Um, but yeah, the, the point being, though, that, they're really, that human traffickers or people uh, who want to exploit will basically waste no opportunity. It doesn't matter really what the industry is. There are certain group of people out there who are looking to take advantage of others, and they, um, they have no qualms about doing so. So mostly that means for us to keep our eyes open and to be, to be prepared to, to see when that might be happening around us. Now, there are um, UN definitions of human trafficking, the governments of Canada and the United States have definitions of human trafficking, and I'm really not going to go into that today. 
Um, we might get into that a little bit more tomorrow in some of our sessions, but uh, basically what I want you to, to understand is that human trafficking is a process. It's a process that somebody goes through that basically renders them into a state of slavery. So after you go through this process, you are somebody's slave. In effect, somebody is exercising the rights of ownership over you. You become somebody's property. That's what we mean when you go through the human trafficking process, that you are rendered into the state of a slave. So now I, I, I don't think we really think about what it means to be a slave, what that really means. I, uh, recently, uh, a few months ago, I got to visit uh, Mount Vernon, which is the home of uh, the founding president of the United States, George Washington, and he was a slaveholder. He owned slaves. And there are, they have uh, period actors, you know, people who do reenactments, and they, they have some people who reenact the real-life slaves that George Washington had. And it really impressed upon me how the totality of their lives was directed and controlled by another person. When they got up, when they went to bed, what they ate, if they ate, what they wore, all these things were dictated by George Washington and his wife. And that's what it means to be a slave. Every decision in your everyday life is dictated by somebody else. And I just want you to try to put your shoes and put yourself in those shoes for a moment. What would that look like if when you got up was controlled by somebody else? What you ate, what you wore, if you wore something, and even who you sleep with. And I don't mean just, you know, having a casual nap with somebody. I mean actually having intimate relations with somebody. Having that aspect of your life being controlled by somebody else. This is what we mean when we're talking about human slavery. You have no autonomy, no self-determination whatsoever. Now, um, there are plenty of examples uh, that I can give you. In the work that I do at World Hope, we have some programs that um, work with survivors of human trafficking and places like Cambodia and Sierra Leone. And I'll share with you a couple of stories or some illustrations from Sierra Leone. In one particular case, there was uh, a young girl who we were able to assist. And, but the, the whole reason why she ended up being sexually trafficked was a, a rather bizarre, what might seem like to us, a bizarre scenario. Her well, first of all, her father had died. Her father had been involved in mining. The mining industry in Sierra Leone is quite large. It's also very dangerous. And anyway, he, he was killed. So this left his family without a provider. Now you have a mother. The mother had epilepsy. And in that part of Africa, in West Africa, to have uh, a condition like epilepsy is basically to believe that you are possessed, uh, that you're a witch. Uh, or that somehow you're maybe perhaps demon-possessed, something like this. So it's, 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 a, it's, it's connected with um, the spiritual underworld, is how they perceive it. It's not that it's a medical condition that's treatable, it's that you are demon-possessed. So the woman was ostracized. Her, the rest of the family abandoned her, um, and she's left with this one daughter who's the only, the only person who's staying with her. And she's desperate. She wants to get some medical treatment. She wants to get the local witch doctor to help cure her of her, uh, you know, maybe cast the demon out or get rid of what's happening. But the witch doctor demands payment. So he accepts payment in form of the daughter. So the daughter becomes his sex slave. 
so this girl is bartered to the witch doctor as a for, in order for this woman to try to get relief from her condition of epilepsy. Now, thankfully, um, we have what we call village parent groups. These are groups in the community who've been trained about human trafficking, and they are aware of what the indications are, what the signs are, and they can make referrals to the local authorities and to us. And so uh, we got word about this case, and with the help of the Sierra Leonean police and so forth, we were able to um, get this girl out of that situation. Um, but that's just one example of how trafficking can happen. Another thing we see quite frequently in Sierra Leone, and actually you'll see all over the world, are situations of forced begging. So you have children, oftentimes this happens to children uh, who are just forced to go out on the street and beg for a living. Or you might have um, fostering scenarios, another very common scenario where someone will come to a village, maybe it's a relative, uh, of, the, of the family, maybe it's an acquaintance, somebody that they know, but they'll come and they'll say, hey, uh, we want to, we, we notice you have this son or this daughter, and we think it's, you should let them come live with us in, in the big capital city, say Freetown, and we'll let, make sure that your son or daughter gets an education. They'll be able to go to school, uh, they'll, get, they'll be able to get ahead in life, and bet, you know, they have a better opportunity. And so there's not many parents uh, who wouldn't want to have that for their children. So they, they accept this offer. <clears throat> and so boys and girls are taken from these rural communities, taken to places like Freetown, uh, where they're maybe in, either enslaved as domestic servants, literally enslaved, where they do all the drudgery, all the hard work, um, very little food, uh, very little clothing, and sometimes made to hawk things on the street to be peddlers. So that's another kind of way in which we see trafficking. Um, but then I don't want you to give—I don't want to give you the impression that trafficking is just something that happens in the developing world or overseas. It happens uh, here in North America. It happens in the U.S. and Canada. And actually, uh, there was just a report that came out earlier this month about uh, the vulnerability of First Nations women here in Canada to being trafficked for the sex trade. And that's been something that has been discussed quite a lot um, by academics and, and advocates working on the trafficking issue that uh, First Nations women are particularly vulnerable uh, due to uh, various you know, sociological factors that make them, uh, make them vulnerable to traffickers. So that would be an example right here in, in Canada. So those are some real life illustrations, but there's, for every one individual I could tell you about, there are thousands and millions more I can't tell you about. Uh, you know, women in, in brothels and massage parlors around the world, people in sweatshops around the world who remain nameless to us, but very much known to God. Uh, there are people made in his image, they're known by him and they're loved by him. But they, you know, there might be as many as 21, 27 million people in slavery, maybe more. Nobody has a really firm handle on how many that might be. So we have a sad situation around the world. Uh, people literally enslaved, people being treated as others' property. Now, uh, when I first got involved in the issue of human trafficking many years ago, uh, 15 or so years ago, I remember people talking about it as the new slavery the new slavery. Oh, wow, new? Really? Now, because there are ways in which uh, slavery is, can be practiced today with the advances of new technology that make it 
easy, easier to facilitate more than ever. I mean, now, you know, you think you compare, I don't know, 16th, 17th century slavery to today. Well, gee whiz, we have air travel, uh, we have, uh, you know, telecommunications and cell phones and texting and the internet and all these things that traffickers can take advantage of to be able to traffic and enslave people uh, more quickly, more efficiently, and faster than ever. But the condition, the actual existence of slavery is something that is not new at all. It's been around for few millennia, and uh, there's actually some really interesting examples that we can find in Scripture. So um, we're going to take a look at, at three of those today. If you have your Bibles, you might want to start out. Uh, if you have them, you can join me at 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And this is the story of the widow's oil. And I'll, I'll uh, let's see here. I'm about to make sure I don't get completely off time here. <clears throat> so, uh, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all, the, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So I, I love this story. <clears throat> and... Really, we could spend uh, the remainder of today just talking about this, this one illustration. Um, <clears throat> but I just want to point it out to you that it's here in the Bible, this text. It's showing us that we have a situation where a woman's children were going to be sold into debt bondage form of slavery. So they had debts they couldn't pay, and the creditors were going to go take her children as slaves. <clears throat> but God acted. God saw the plight of the widow. And not only did he save her... This woman who was bereft, really about to be bereft twice over. She'd, she'd lost her husband. She became a widow, and now she's about to lose her sons. She's about to be bereft twice, well, really three times over. But God saw this, no, no, this woman without a name, a widow in Israel, among the prophets, already an outcast <laughs> at this time in the, in, the land of, of, um, in the land of Israel. And he saw, and he responded, not only enough to take care of the debt that they might be free, but to sustain them into the future. So I, I think this is a really beautiful illustration of that, that we should keep in our minds as we talk about trafficking solutions and so forth, and we might touch on that some more tomorrow. Okay, so that's one story. And just flip over a page or two in your Bible and look at 2 Kings 5. 1 through 26. Now today we don't have time to, to read this whole passage, and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with the story of Naaman uh, and, and him being healed from leprosy. 
But what I want you to see is that this entire story, one of these amazing stories from Scripture, uh, that Naaman's healing is brought into effect by who? But a slave girl working in his house. So look particularly at verses 2 through 3. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now this astounds me that this slave girl who'd been stripped away from her home, her homeland, her family, her community, that she would have the grace to share with the people who are her oppressors uh, that there's someone who could heal her master, Naaman. Again, there's, uh, I'm sure there's a, a gold mine waiting to be explored here, but I, again, I want you to see that there are biblical illustrations of slavery in our text that I think we've, we've glossed over so many times. But today, what I really wanna um, hone in on is the story of Joseph course, this epic story of the Exodus. And of course, this takes place, a lot of this account takes place in Genesis. Um, the opening segment of this is in Genesis 37. So this is one of the earliest accounts of, of trafficking in the Bible. And you know the story, that Joseph was, uh, his brothers were jealous. They didn't like him. He didn't like the, the coat of many colors and their dad's favoritism. And so one day they see him coming uh, from down through the field and they say, hey, let's kill this guy. Well, thankfully, one of the brothers was, had, was, had enough sense and said, oh, uh, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. <laughs> There's some advocacy for you. Um, so he gets thrown into a pit, and then lo and behold, these, this caravan of slave traders goes by, and they, they get the bright idea, hey, let's just sell him. Let's just get rid of him. Let's sell him to this band of slave traders. And so they do. And Joseph is taken down to Egypt and sold into service in the house of Potiphar. And you see this really fascinating macro story, the story of Joseph and his, his individual life of being the favorite in a family, but being betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave, and then all that unfolds, right? He's falsely accused of uh, sexually assaulting uh, the wife of his master. He's thrown into prison. He's he, you know, completely abject uh, and, and, and lost in Egypt, lost to his, fam lost to his father. Uh, but what happens? God takes this man out of the depths of a prison and catapults him to the head, you know, only second only in command to the Pharaoh himself, catapults him to the head of the greatest empire on the planet at the time. Whoa, <laughs> this is something. So Joseph's individual story of human trafficking is, is really quite an encounter, but there's much more to it if you look at the story at the macro level. What was God setting up? So the, you have the story of Joseph and his trafficking, but it's all setting up a much bigger scenario. God's really kind of laying out the chessboard here, where now, from one act of human trafficking, what will result? Anybody got some thoughts on that? What, what, just think a minute. What results from this one act of human trafficking? Eventually, Joseph's brothers come, and the whole family migrates to Egypt, and they do well for a while until the Pharaoh dies and you know, um, institutional memory fades and the, the, the service of Joseph 
to the Pharaoh is, com is completely forgotten and they're multiplying and the Egyptians are getting scared. We got all these foreigners here. They might overrun us. Let's just enslave them. So from one act of human trafficking, what results but the entire enslavement of a people from generations? So <laughs> it's, it's astounding, the this, this story that's unfolding. Um, but <laughs> what, what men had intended for evil, God is using for good. And this is really setting up the great story of the greatest story, really, of the Old Testament, the Exodus, of God freeing his people. God, the great emancipator, right? It's a, and not only that, it's this awesome foreshadowing of the work of the gift of redemption that will be coming on the cross through, this, through God's son, Jesus Christ. Now, you might be thinking, well, how does this all show us about, how does this foreshadow Christ? Well, we know that when God does move, when he hears the outcry of suffering from his people and he moves to set them free, that he uses Moses. And again, this is fascinating micro story. The micro story of Moses, his individual account, a boy, a baby, born as a slave. What happened? Again, catapulted to the highest, <laughs> highest ranks of power in Egyptian society. Brought up by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. Educated, surrounded by wealth, the most, in the most influential people, gaining all this knowledge and, and influence. But yet, somehow, he always maintains an attachment to the place from which he came. He, he wasn't absorbed into the oppressive culture in which he lived. And then ultimately, and we know that he, he commits a murder, he flees, and ends up living <laughs> is as, a sheep, as a herder out somewhere in the deserts. Wow, what a reverse story we have from Joseph. Right, the, the kind of the, 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 you know, well, you have, with Joseph, you had the going up, but you didn't have any coming down. With, with Moses, you have a, a great climactic climb, and then you have this crash into, the, into oblivion of sheep herding in the desert. Yeah. But what does God do on the macro level? He, start, he uses Moses and his brother Aaron to say, let my people go. Set my people free. And so that's, what, that's the message that they go. They, they go with the, the message to Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, you know, I hadn't thought about this scripture. I had been working in anti-trafficking for quite a while. And um, one day I went to a State Department event in the States where I work. And they've been working, the State Department has been taking a lot of leadership on the issue of human trafficking. And we had a big an event. And there's actually an ambassador who's an ambassador of large to combat human trafficking. And he gave a speech. The guy's name was John Miller, phenomenal um, man. And he gave a speech and he said, and he quoted Moses' famous line, let my people go. And I was like, wow, this is cool. How many times do you go to a government event and you hear people quoting scripture? You know, like, let my people go. I, I was pretty impressed. And it, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and look at the Exodus account and, and look at this more closely. And I did, and I went back and I found, for instance, in Exodus 8, in verse 1, this is what, this is, what is actually said. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, 
let my people go so that they may worship me. Now, when Ambassador Miller gave his talk, gave a speech, he didn't include that last little tidbit, right? Probably wouldn't have been politically correct <laughs> at a State Department event to say, oh, let my people go that they may worship me, they may, that they may worship God. Uh, but this is really the heart of what this, is all, this issue, I think, is all about. God created every human being with a purpose. He, you know, he, God didn't create us because he was bored, didn't have anything better to do, and just wanted us to live meaningless, self-indulgent lives so that we could just kick back and um, enjoy, uh, confuse uh, liberty for license. No, he made us that we might worship him and have fellowship with him, serve him and share with him. He was, created us for communion, right, with him. But in Exodus, we have... Pharaoh, who's undermining and thwarting that purpose, he's not allowing the people to go that they, may, that they can go worship the Lord and serve him and know him and fellowship with him. In fact, really, Pharaoh is your ultimate enslaver. He has a whole nation of people that he is enslaved and oppressed and is treating as his property. So he's your grand archetype, if you will, for a, a slave trader. But now we have God, though, who... <laughs> He says, oh, really? You think you're bad, Mr. Pharaoh? I'll show you bad. I want to bring you some plagues like you've never seen, right? So you got these plagues coming, and I'm telling you, they are pretty ferocious, pretty ferocious. I think about even one of these happening today, and I would be running for the hills. I don't know about you guys, but so what? We've got, you know, if we had more time, I'd make you tell me what all these are, but we don't have enough time. So, but we've got the plague of blood, frogs, Lice, lice, <laughs> right? Flies, pestilence on the livestock, boils, um, hail, pummeling everything, and then locusts devouring everything green, and then of course the horrid plague of darkness and um, the tragic plague, the death of the firstborn. And finally, finally, Pharaoh relents. Now, this is a whole series. I mean, Steven Spielberg doesn't have anything over on God when it comes to apocalyptic, you know, scary scenarios and special effects. I mean, God's got it all right here in Exodus, man. You want some scary stuff, just go read Exodus. Um, finally, though, Pharaoh gives up. He says, all right, let my people go, and they go. And this is where we again see this unfolding of the macro story. So the people begin their journey. Moses leads them out and they begin their journey in what was meant to be this great celebration and leading them into the promised land. We know the story took a big U-turn, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, they weren't prepared for the freedom that was offered them. And they ended up longing for their bonds of slavery. Again, it's a tragedy. It's, of course, cost a whole generation their lives wandering around in the desert. So why do I share all that? Well, I share all that because I want you to know that when Christ died on the cross, he sent Satan this message. He said, let my people go, that they may worship me. So, Jesus Christ is the author of, of abolition. Maybe you wonder what I mean by abolition. 
I mean, the end of this institution, this thing we know as sin. This, this ending of the institution. And um, there's a lot more I could say. This message is really meant to be about 45 minutes, so I'm going to have to do a big bring down the before they pull the hook and get me off of here. But um, what, I, I, what I really want you to remember is that Jesus is the great emancipator, right? We can talk about ending slavery and all that we want to do, but it's not about us, it's about Christ and what Christ did for us and what he did for the whole world. And tragically, there's a whole world that doesn't know it. So there's a whole lot of ways that we can, you know, getting back to this modern issue of human trafficking and slavery. Uh, there are many things we can do to combat human trafficking. But one thing I want to caution you about today is that if you decide that this is something that God puts a call on your heart to do, I don't want you to think that that means you're putting on some kind of Superman cape or Wonder Woman outfit. Definitely not a Wonder Woman outfit. <laughs> okay, those were really bad. That was just so not good. Um, right, but really, this isn't about you. It's not about you feeling it fulfilled, you gaining significance and importance in the world. It has to be because you love Jesus Christ and you want to serve him first and foremost and he's put some call on your life about how you can do that in this field. But if you're doing it for your own glory, please don't bother. Okay, and this is what I see over and over in this field. There's so many people working in trafficking and unfortunately for a, a lot of folks and perhaps even in my own life at a time when I repent <laughs> uh, bitter, bitterly over that. Uh, maybe that's what made me feel important or made me feel like I had significance. But that's not the case. I only have significance as a daughter of Christ, as a um, standing <laughs> washed in his blood is the only way that that's where I get my value. That's how I know I'm loved. So um, I have to wrap up. I'm not ready to. <laughs> But I, I, was, I just hope, I want you to be excited about the Bible and the scripture and, G, and the work of Christ and how it connects with this issue of human trafficking. We, this book, <laughs> this, you know, in America, uh, this doesn't necessarily work so well up here in Canada, but in America, you know, we have this guy named Abraham Lincoln, and he's given all this credit for what's known as the Emancipation Proclamation. It was this thing that let the African-American slaves go free. You know, unfortunately, it took him three years to get around to doing that, you know. So, anyway, he eventually did. But he's given all this great credit as an emancipator. But this is our Emancipation Proclamation. You're holding it right there in your hands. It's in your pews. This is the Emancipation Proclamation for all of humankind. And I just leave you with that. I want you to remember that. So... When you are thinking about the issue of human trafficking, I don't want you to think about having to do exceedingly great acts. I want you to be faithful in the small things. There are a lot of small ways that everybody can be an abolitionist every single day. Um, and if we just start loving each other better, that'll be a great start. <laughs> and if we all find ways in 
all the injustices we see around us, little injustices, big injustices, to stop being bystanders and start engaging in those little injustices, you become an abolitionist for maybe human trafficking, maybe on homelessness, maybe on immigration issues, I, I don't know, whatever. There's a whole host of ways to be an abolitionist and to fight injustices and exploitation like human trafficking. And they don't mean you have to go out and become some kind of special undercover agent investigating this stuff and be the Liam Neeson of the world, right? And taken and the Liam Neeson way of um, fighting human trafficking. Not, okay? <laughs> don't go there. Just go here and go to our Lord. Thank you very much.